call me biased a little bit, but um, as, as your worship pastor here, I would have been just fine if not getting up here and preaching tonight and us just going home after that. Can we let the worship team know how much we appreciate them? Uh, another thing, Neil, Neil alluded to this, uh, one of our pastors, Neil, said something about this last week, and I thought he was wrong, and I thought he was lying, but as I stand up here, he had mentioned how the two different color of carpets here were going to really mess with my OCD, and I was like, oh, I'll be fine. And standing up here earlier looking at it, I'm going to try to pay attention to just as much to this side of the room as we did this side of the room, but we're excited. This is all getting done in here. Uh, we, are, we are on the way of having this done, and uh, we're going to get right into it. We're not going to waste any time right now. We are in week three of our sermon series that we're in right now called Like. And um, we've, been, um, we've been going into this knowing that we're going to have six weeks of this series, and we're going to look at all different kinds of parables in the book of Matthew. There are 40 parables in the book of Matthew, and a parable is a story that Jesus would have told and 14 of these parables have the term like, or the word like in there, where we kind of compare this is like that. Doing this is like that. And so a little review from our first couple weeks before we get in today. Uh, week one, Dave preached. He told us about that we are like the weeds, that as Christians in a world that is heavily influenced by a non-Christian society, we have to be the wheat that exists amongst the weeds. And last week, we learned when Dave preached again uh, that being like the mustard seed and the yeast, life as a Christian is like a continual forward-moving journey from infancy to adulthood. So get in the game, grow up in the game. And then today, we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to learn today about the treasure in the field and the precious pearl. And uh, just as I always do before I preach, I'm just going to ask everybody, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me as we just pray over the reading of God's word. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you for your scripture where we learn uh, what it means to follow you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit just be in this place right now. I pray that you would um, get me out of the way and that you would just let uh, life be spoken today, that you're going to draw all people to you. We pray that you would be here, and we just pray that this would fall on good soil in people's hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said, amen. Okay, since we are doing parables, and a parable is a story that Jesus told, I'm also going to start out with a story. And I debated whether to tell you this because I think some people might make fun of me a little bit, and that's okay. When I was 12 years old, I started my own company called Box Handyman Service. I uh, hear the Snickers already, and that's okay. Uh, my grandfather was a printer by trade, and so he printed me up these little business cards. Man, I'm laughing at myself already. Printed me up these little business cards they had my little skinny 12-year-old face on there. I had a really bad homemade haircut. Then my dad used that thing called a Floby. If anybody remembers that, it's like a vacuum to vacuum hair and cut it all the same length. It's awful. And so I had these little business cards, and I started this company, Box Handyman Service. And basically, here's, here was the extent of it. I had like three elderly ladies in our neighborhood that 
um, graciously allowed me to do some yard work for him. It wasn't even a handyman thing. It was more like a little landscape thing. And so I, um, I had three yards that I helped take care of. And I remember uh, one of the ladies, just a couple houses down, her name was Mrs. Ocon. And she's, she's long since passed. And um, she paid me $3 an hour, cash money, to uh, mow her grass, pull weeds out of her flower bed. That was a good time. And then I also remember there's another lady that was farther down the street. And she was a little bit older. And uh, I made the mistake. She left me in charge of... She had to go to the grocery store and she said, I need these flowers dug up and these cut down, whatever. She got back, I'd done completely opposite. I'd cut down all of the daylilies that her, that her late husband had given her as a gift years and years ago. And she graciously had me back. But here's the reason why I tell you that. I started this business because I had a goal and I had something that I wanted. There was this Huffy mountain bike. Anybody remember Huffy bikes? I don't even know if they still make them. There was this Huffy mountain bike, and I wanted this thing bad. It had the shocks on the front, had the shocks on the back. It was all blacked out. It had these little hits of like neon green and neon yellow on it. And all the cool kids in the neighborhood had these really cool Huffy mountain bikes. And I wanted one. Now, I knew that I just had to have that bike but also knew that in our family, I'm the oldest of nine kids, money was tight, okay? And this bike at that time, 30 years ago, was about $165, if I remember correctly. Now, at that time, that was a lot of money. That was a lot of money. That's a lot of money to me right now. So I set a goal for myself, because I had to have it. I was gonna make sure it happened. So I saved and I saved, and I was gonna do whatever it took to get this bike. I went down every single week. This is going to be a blast from the past for you. I went down every week. I rolled my, rode my old bike down to Kmart. And I went in with my little cash in my pocket, and my, my, I made my layaway payment. Anybody remember layaway? Yeah. We'll explain it to all you youngsters later. So I made my layaway payment, and it was coming to, up towards the end of the summer. And um, I, was, I was short. I only had these three yards that I was taking care of, and I was getting paid like $2.50, $3 an hour. So... I wasn't making much money. And I remember that one random day, my dad came home from work, and I don't think I have to explain this, but, I, but guess what? That bike was sitting out in the driveway. Now I was about 50 bucks short or something. Now, I remember being so ecstatic, um, and I, I, can, I can honestly say there's only been a couple times in my life. Um, one time when I stood right down here and my wife walked that right down this aisle, and then the birth of our two children that I don't think I've ever experienced as much joy as I did seeing that bike that I'd worked so hard for. And my dad's joy was uncontrollable and overwhelming as well. That bike was my treasure. That bike was, was a, a precious pearl to me. And to me, that bike had great, great worth. So, I explain that to tell you this. Before we get into the text of today, um, I want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, Davis taught us all about context. Look, look, where, look where you're reading. Look what you're studying. And we're in chapter 13. And if you go to the beginning of this chapter, I just think it's kind of cool what happens here. So at the beginning of chapter 13, before he tells all these parables, Jesus is, is in the house. Okay, so he's chilling in the house. 
And then it says that he leaves the house and he goes and sits by the lake. Now, I wonder, did he go down there just to, to relax by himself? Did he go down there to pray? Were the disciples being annoying and he just needed to get away from them? I don't know. But it says he goes and sits by the lake. And then it says a few verses later that such large crowds gathered around him that he had to escape from that. And I'm, I'm assuming his back is to the lake and there's these crowds that wanna be close to Jesus. And they get so close and maybe they're pressing in so much that he has to actually get in a boat and go out in the water a little bit. We don't know how, we don't know. He couldn't have gone too far because they didn't have microphones then. So Jesus goes out into the water a little bit and he preaches to these crowds from the water. After, after verse 36 in this chapter, it says that he goes after several parables that he goes back into the house. So the crowd is either still there or they leave. And so the parables that we're gonna be talking about today, he is just in this house that they were staying at and he's telling this to his disciples. And after he tells them these parables, it says then he gets up and he moves on from there. And so he goes from house to lake to out in the lake to back into the house sitting with the disciples and this is what he leaves with them. And so uh, we're going to get into Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, and this is about the treasure in the field and the precious pearl. And so I'm gonna read this, and uh, if you've got your Bible, read along. If not, we're gonna have it on the screen here. So verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like, everybody say like, treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, he repeats it. The kingdom of heaven is like, everybody say like. A merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Sold everything that he had and bought it. So there's two things that are really, really clear right here that Jesus said in that passage. Number one is the kingdom of heaven is like two things treasure hidden in a field, and a merchant seeking for fine pearls. So we see two examples there, treasure hidden in a field and a merchant seeking for fine pearls. Do you see, do we see today the value and the emphasis that he is putting on just how valuable the kingdom of heaven is? It's as valuable as treasure, it's as valuable as precious pearls that you would pay and give everything to obtain to have this. And then we see how much it costs these men to obtain it. So both parables, in each one of those sections, both parables say the following. It says that they sold all they had, and the second one says sold everything that they had. So whatever they had laid their eyes on, whatever this treasure in this field was, whatever this precious pearl that this merchant has been searching for, it sounds like he looked until he found one of great value, so it sounds like that he maybe had rejected several. It was that valuable to them that, they, that nothing would hold them back from being able to attain it. And it says they went and got rid of everything they had. Now think about, think about us doing that. No thanks. No thanks. Somebody came up to me and said, hey, you can have this thing. You gotta you got give everything. I'm good. But... I'm probably wrong. Uh, Dave, Dave has, in the last couple of weeks, has kind of taken a phrase and said, um, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so 
I kind of tried to sum this up. And if we look at this, this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Life as a Christian is like joyfully giving up all we have to obtain his precious treasure. Giving up everything we have joyfully to obtain his precious treasure. So how do we find that joy? Well, for one, how many times do we sit at night or just when we're kind of zoning out and we take our phone out and we're flipping through Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, whatever. No, I like that. And you just aimlessly, you hit like, and before you know it, you've liked like 50 posts, right? Nothing of real fruit, nothing of real substance. Um, on a side note, how many of you wish that we had a dislike button? Boy, I would be in trouble. I would be in Dave's office all the time getting talked to. I'd be sitting there wearing that dislike button out. But are we spending the same amount of time searching this word of God and seeking God's heart for hidden treasures or for precious pearls as that merchant was looking for as we are wasting time on the like button? And I, I think if we got real honest with ourselves, I know if I get honest with myself, I, there's so much more that I can do in that area. I love how the Bible can come alive in a modern day story that we, that we read and we see things that happen 2,000 years ago in that story and then we can move forward to in the last few years and we can see things. I'm like, man, that's the exact same thing that happened in the Bible. Um, I was excited about this sermon. I'm like, I get to preach about hidden treasure and, and gems and pearls and stuff. This is pretty cool. So I just started messing around online and looking, okay, what are some modern day, what are some modern day people that found treasure? Or what are some, what are some pearls that people found? And I found some cool stuff here. In 2009, in Staffordshire, England, there was a guy named Terry Herbert. He was 55 years old. Um, he was a metal detector enthusiast. You've seen those guys at the beach before. He was going around to these freshly plowed fields in the springtime because after the fields would get plowed, there was, there was theories that if there was anything buried underneath, it might be moved to the top. And he asked this, asked this old farmer, hey, can I, can I go metal detecting your field? And this old farmer said, sure, go ahead, no big deal. So Terry goes out searching. What he didn't expect to find was 1,345 gold and silver artifacts that had been plowed up just a few days before. And to this day, this happened in 2009, it is the largest single find of Anglo-Saxon treasure that's ever been uncovered. And the, here's the cool thing about this, and just think it ties back to, to Matthew 13. Amongst those Anglo-Saxon treasures were a bunch of golden crosses, and several of these pieces that had been unearthed had Bible verses uh, engraved into them. And so, in a way, you know, it's kind of this spiritual holy treasure that he finds. Now, Terry, Terry was an honest guy, and so he goes back to the old farmer, and he says, hey, I found this. And he doesn't think the farmer's going to give him anything. And the farmer was cool. He said, I don't, I don't uh, need all that. And so they split the proceeds of that, which was in several million dollars. So not a bad day's work if you're Terry, the metal detector guy. Now, another, another time that we see this is in 2016. So just a few years ago, um, there's something called the, the Pearl of Puerto. And this guy was a poor fisherman, 
And this guy is, is swimming and fishing. And this guy finds a pearl that weighs over 75 pounds. It's over two feet long. It's over a foot wide. Now, um, one of my jobs I used to have, I worked at a, at a high-end jewelry store, and we specialized in high-end pearls. And so I got to really study and see how pearls were created, and it's just really fascinating. And, and if you know anything about them, to find one of that size, to find a valuable priceless pearl like that doesn't happen. They're, they're, just, they're, just, they're not out there. So here's, here's the funny part of this story. This poor fisherman takes that pearl, and this is, this is where I thought it was so fun. I'm laughing to myself as I was writing this. He takes it home and he hides it under his bed for 10 years. 10 years, this dude hides this pearl under his bed. Kind of like the guy that found the treasure in the field. He hid it again, and then he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. So this guy finally takes this pearl and, and um, <laughs> the value of this pearl is guesstimated right now to be at over $100 million, okay? So um, how do we gain treasure like that in the spiritual sense? You know, I hope one of you guys goes and finds hidden gold treasure in a field um, or, or a pearl that weighs that much. And you can pay off all the stuff that, that we got going on in here. That'd be awesome. But how do we gain this treasure? How do we be like the merchant that is searching for those precious pearls? Matthew 6, 33 says this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things will be added unto you. So what are all these things that are gonna be added to us? If we seek first the kingdom of God, if we're seeking that treasure that is him, if we're seeking those precious pearls, which is him, how do, we, how do we find that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. So there's three things that we're gonna focus on. There's three words that we're gonna focus on, and there's things attached to them. And the first one uh, that we're gonna talk about right now is called gains. Some of the things that we can gain, okay? When we find that treasure, which is the kingdom of God, here's some things that we gain. The first thing is forgiveness, okay? John is gonna go into detail on this next week, so I don't wanna mess this up for him. John is gonna talk about forgiveness. We get forgiven of our sins. The second one that we get is grace, okay? God's grace covers us. and We're not guilty anymore. We're forgiven. We have grace. The third one is hope. We don't have to live this life, which oftentimes without Jesus can feel hopeless. We can live this life with purpose and hope every single day. How about joy, okay? The verse that we're reading says that he joyfully went and sold everything he had. So we get joy in knowing that our salvation is hid in Christ. What about peace? Um, this is not a very peaceful world that we're living in. This is, this is not a very peaceful place that we're in right now. But in Jesus, in the kingdom, we can have peace. How about heaven, which is eternal life? Every doctor is trying to give you some quick, quick fix to long life and health and, and diet and exercise plans. Those are all good. Strongly encourage those things. 
but none of them can promise heaven and eternal life. That's the benefit we have. That's a gain that we have from being in the kingdom of God. We don't have to go through this alone. Those are just a few. There's many, many more. Those are just a few that I chose there. But when we fully understand the benefits that we receive by being in the kingdom of God, we possess a joy that is unequaled. We possess a joy that is unequaled because nothing that we can have and, and, and obtain, nothing is as great as that. Nothing is as valuable as that. That joy will motivate us to give up anything that we have to possess and keep those benefits in the kingdom that we just read about. We'll surrender our will to his will. We will give up on our pride and ourselves to thanksgiving for his grace. Our purposes in this physical life for his purposes lived through us. This is required for us to not just obtain those blessings and receive those blessings, but it's expected in order to keep them. This isn't a one-way street. If you see in that parable, there were things those men had to do before they got this treasure or this pearl of, valuable, of, of value handed to them. They both left and did something first. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Something when I was reading um, about searching for treasures, man, I felt, I felt like a kid again this week. I remember going out in the backyard and having treasure maps and stuff, and me and my brothers would hide things in the yard and try to make up treasure. I felt like that again. It was kind of cool. But I would much rather have, when you're searching for something of great value, um, it's usually harder to find than something that's cheap, right? And so I would much rather follow that example in Proverbs and have a straight path that God has promised, that he's leading me, than searching for it of my own accord. Because I know on my own accord, I'm gonna go left, right, up, down, backwards, forwards. I'm not gonna know where I'm at. But with him leading, it's just like a path right down the middle of this room. Give him everything and he will make straight your path. Now, now we see what some of these gains are. What's next? Now that we know what we gain, that's kind of the easy part. Um, the next part is, is the part that causes people a little bit of pain. Uh, it causes, causes me a little bit of pain. And this is the hard part. And so um, I want you to hear me on this. I want you to, to hold tight with me and understand that, that this is everything I'm going to say is what the Bible says. Okay, so when it comes to this next part, there's things that we have to give up. And I don't mean give up on life or give up on this. There's some things that we physically, if we want to obtain that treasure, that we have to give up. We have to let go of those things. The first thing is sin. We can't stay in a life of sin. You've got to repent. We have to repent of our sin and give our lives to Jesus. Second part is living to advance our own cause and now living to advance his. Um, I don't know about you all, but it's really easy for me to get a little sideways and start living to advance 
the kingdom of Aquila versus living to advance the kingdom of heaven. And when we're really bought into Jesus, we get that right more often than not. That now we are living to advance the cause of the kingdom and the cause of Jesus Christ rather than our own. How about certain pleasures? Um, this is hard for a lot of us. A lot of us like different things. Some of those things are okay. Some of those things are not okay. Um, hobbies are okay in moderation. Um, TV, sports, all those things are okay in moderation. But there's some things that as Christians, if we want to obtain the kingdom, we got to get right. Um, pleasures that we would have to give up would probably include being, being party animals, partying too much. How about gambling, excessive drinking? How about sex before marriage outside of the biblical design that this is between a man and a woman who are married, period? There's things that we have to give up. There's sins in our lives and pleasures that the physical body may find pleasurable, but if we want to obtain this most valuable gift, this most treasured thing that he promises us in his word, we've got to give up these other things. That's hard sometimes. How about another one is relationships? And I mean romantic relationships or friendships. If those relationships are not driving you towards the will of God, if those relationships are not pointing you into a place where you're coming into unison with the Spirit of God, then they're probably out of line in your life. I remember years ago when I left the life that I was leading and I decided to come back to Jesus and he welcomed me back with open arms. I tried so hard and I still continue to this day to try to reach my friends that were not Christians. Um, but there were some pauses I had to put on some places of, of who I was around and where I was going um, because they weren't gonna be beneficial for my relationship with Jesus. And so we've gotta pay attention to those things. Some other things we'd have to give up are pride and, and control of money. Yeah, that'll work too. I skipped one. Um, that's a hard one to talk about. Pastors don't like talking about this one. Control of money. Um, how, about, how about saying, um, I want the kingdom of heaven. I'm not gonna do that tithe thing. I'm not gonna support the local church. That's one thing in the Bible that God says, test me on this, okay? So, giving up control of our money, giving up our pride. How about jealousy? Anybody in here struggle with jealousy and seeing things that people have? And man, I'd, I'd like to have that. I've been there before. There's still times I think that. Here's a big one. Maybe the most invaluable in here, time. How much time are you giving to other things? I know we gotta work and and, and in our family, we do things with our family, but how much time are we giving to other things and robbing time from Jesus? How much time are we spending on the ball fields on Sunday with travel ball versus being in church with our families? How much time are we, are we devoting raising our families in church with our children here versus letting other people raise them? Time is a valuable thing that sometimes we gotta give that back to Jesus. Now, I have to be careful here. I have to be really careful, actually, because with, with some of these, um, it's one of my concerns, and I talked to a 
couple of our pastors this week. I said, I don't want this to become, as I talk about these things that we have to give up, I don't want this to become a, a sermon or a message that um, this is not about good works and sacrificial right living will get us to heaven, will get us into the kingdom. Oh, no. That would mean that somehow we are responsible for getting ourselves there. It is only by God's grace, it is only by his free gift, gift to us that this happens. But we still have a requirement to live a certain way. Galatians 5.24 says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They have crucified the flesh. What happens when you crucify something? What happened when they crucified Jesus? He died. His physical body died. What happens when we say no to those fleshly desires, to those fleshly passions that we don't need in our life? When we say no to them, they will die. We have to allow certain things to be killed in our life to obtain this treasure. Those passions and desires that don't bring true joy, they might bring momentary joy and momentary pleasure, but they don't bring true joy in the long run. They have to be done away with. I wanna read um, a section of scripture out of Psalm 119. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. And um, just some really good stuff in here that just kind of blew my mind this week as I was putting this together that really matches up with what we're, what we're talking about. Uh, starting in verse 11. I have hidden your word, his word, in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Let's leave this up here uh, for just a second, this verse 14. Do you see the connection of the word rejoice as one rejoices? Rejoice is a synonym for joy. And so we see in Matthew 13, in that parable, it says he joyfully went and sold all he had to obtain this pearl. This is saying right here that we will take just as much delight and have just as much joy in obeying our Lord as we do for finding the treasure. So the obedience to the gift that he's given us has just as much joy in it as getting the treasure in the first place. There's just as much joy from us to him in obedience if we allow him to do that in our, in our lives. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. One thing I liked about putting this sermon together, there was a lot of good scripture that backed it up. Anytime that there's a lot of scripture to back it up, it makes it a little bit easier for whoever's writing that to put that together. You'll notice how he says that the way to satisfy your hunger and your thirst is not the biggest house, the best paying job, the most perfect luxury items, the best preacher from the pulpit, 
the most perfect kids, none of that. The way to be satisfied and to find joy is to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. Meaning that you have his approval and he looks at you and says, you're in right standing with me. I wanna show you um, a few examples in scripture of doing this the right way and doing this the wrong way. Um, in Mark, Mark chapter 10, we see a story of a, of a rich young man, a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and he's really excited and he wants to inherit eternal life. He wants to inherit the kingdom. He wants this treasure. And it seems by all accounts when you read the scripture and kind of study this that he seemed like a moral young man. He seemed, as Jesus asked him questions about the laws of the time, yes, Jesus, yes, Father, or teacher, whatever he called him at the time, um, it seemed as if he had kept all these laws, that he had kept all these commandments. And he was excited about that. He said, see, I have kept all this, so can I have this eternal life? Can I have this, this gift, this treasure? And Jesus tells him to sell everything. There it is again. Give it to the poor. And it says that the young man dejectedly hung his head and walked away from Jesus because he had great wealth. So what is it costing us? What is it costing you? What is Jesus asking for you to give up in your life in order to obtain the most precious treasure that we could get? In a different setting, so we just saw the rich young ruler get it wrong. Now let's look at a way where, where somebody gets it right. We're gonna stay right here in the book of Matthew with the writer, which is Matthew. He's one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples. Um, this is pretty cool. More than any other disciple that Jesus had, Matthew had a very clear idea and a very clear understanding of what it would cost him to go and follow Jesus. He understood that and I can prove it to you. Matthew was a tax collector, okay? So he, uh, he was quite despised by his fellow Jewish culture. And um, while he was in a despised position, it was also quite a lucrative job. So he made pretty good money taking money from his fellow people. Uh, Jesus was walking by, this is, this is so cool to me, it's one of the craziest things in scripture that I think is, is in there of what Matthew did. Jesus is walking by Matthew's tax collector booth. And all, all, we, all we see is that Jesus is walking by, and he stops, he looks at Matthew. We don't know if they've had conversation before, none of that. He looks at Matthew and he says two words, follow me. Follow me, follow me. That's all he says. Matthew stands up. I imagine that he put his quill pen down and shut his record books put his backpack on, walked out of the office, whistling, and closed the door behind him. And he just left. He just left and followed Jesus. Tell me right now, I don't care who walks in this room, unless it's Jesus. Somebody walks in this room that I admire and I think is really, really cool and just awesome, and they just walk up here right now while I'm working and say, follow me. Probably ain't doing that. But he leaves everything and he goes and follows Jesus. 
Now, here's the fascinating part. He left there, when he left that, that booth, he guaranteed himself unemployment. And I don't think they had paid unemployment back then. He knew that he wasn't gonna have a job. Most of the other disciples at least had a fisherman's trade to fall back on. Not Matthew. He left there and he knew that there was no, there was no turning back. He knew the sacrifice, but he also knew the joy that came with following Jesus. And he did what had to be done. In Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Dying to self, dying to ourselves, for Jesus, it brings life, it brings joy. And Matthew knew that. Those that do not choose Jesus are missing out on the, old, on the, on the most unbelievable joy that they could ever have. I don't find it a coincidence as we're studying this that the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't find that as a coincidence. The value of the kingdom, heaven, is so high that as Christians, we will do whatever it takes to obtain it. Whatever it takes. So if you're a Christian, you will do whatever it takes to obtain the kingdom of God. This is what it's like to be a Christian. This is what it's like. We're going to... Um, talk about the third, the third part. So we went through the gains, which are the benefits. We went through the give up part, which is probably the hard part. And now the third part is the gratitude. In 1 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we trust in Jesus, when we find that treasure, that precious, precious pearl, when we sell all we have or everything we have to purchase it, we make an exchange. Our sin for his righteousness. Our sin for his righteousness. Let's be honest, um, none of us in this room have anything close to valuable enough to purchase that free gift, nothing. Nothing we could have could be worth that much. Our sin, our dirty, rotten, filthy sin was poured into Christ at his crucifixion. He took that on. And his righteousness is poured into us at our conversion into Christianity. In the physical world that we live in, bartering, when you barter for something, it works only when two parties exchange goods that are of relatively equal value, right? I've got this, it's worth this much, you trade me this for that. But God offers to trade us his righteousness for our sin. 
something that's immeasurable value for something that we have that we possess in our sin that is completely worthless. How grateful we should be for his kindness in that to us. As we get ready to close, um, there's a song that we sang at Night of Worship a few weeks ago. I'm going to ask some members of the team to come back out and lead us in this. I'm a worship pastor. Of course, we are going to end with the song, right? One thing I've learned um, in the handful of times that I've been asked to preach at this church uh, during sermon prepping is, is to make sure that you relate it back to yourself on how you're living or not living. If you're living correctly on the matter you're preaching on or if you're not living correctly on the matter you're preaching on. And I hope I'm not the only one, but I got a lot of room to grow. A lot of room to grow in this. But one thing I have noticed <clears throat> is that when I am joyful, when I have the joy of the Lord, when I am following Jesus closely, when I'm holding on to him tightly, when I'm daily picking up my cross, when I'm giving it all to him every single day, I find myself in my joy saying hallelujah quite a bit. You know, I may just be in the car and I just see something or feel something, hallelujah. You know, during worship at church, I might say hallelujah up here more times. And I've, I've, I've kind of wondered why that is. And I, I've noticed that in my life. And it kind of hit me this week that the word hallelujah means to praise the Lord to express praise and joy and thanks. I am so joyful to have found this treasure of Jesus. I'm so joyful because his kindness, that he replaced my sin with righteousness. My joy runs deep because he fills me and he holds me close as his child. I've hidden his words in my heart so that I might not sin against him. And my earthly possessions in this life mean absolutely nothing, nothing. All I have to give him is a hallelujah. All I have to give him is a hallelujah. To give him praise, to give him thanks, to give him my joy. In my joy and my gratitude, I find myself singing the following. It just says that I throw up my hands and I will praise you again and again. It's all that I have is a hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I don't have anything else that's fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah. I'm gonna ask you to stand, church. We're gonna sing this song. Alex and the team are gonna lead in a song called Gratitude. I just want us to close our eyes and think about this treasure that we have in Jesus. Let's worship together.